the most important thing that government can do is to protect innocent life and then liberty, because liberty is of no value if you're dead. That's the voice of former Congressman Bob McEwen, who joined us to discuss what's really at stake for our nation in the ongoing battle for life and family. Plus, we have the latest updates on the 30-day race to get public comments in support of Governor Yunkin's parent-friendly revisions to school policies. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb, and our special guest, the Honorable Bob McEwen. Well, this is a very special show today because we have with us one of the leading voices in the pro-family movement, the Honorable Bob McEwen, who served for six terms in the U.S. Congress representing his home state of Ohio. And during that time, he was elected by his peers to serve in some of the most coveted positions in Congress, including the Select Committee on Intelligence, which is what oversees all of our nation's secrets, and the powerful House Committee on Rules, which an easy way to explain that is it has jurisdiction over all the legislation in Congress, kind of when it when the, it comes up to be heard and that kind of a thing. Um, and he has vast experience in national security and constitutional government issues that I can't even do justice to today fully in the time that we have. But suffice it to say, we are thankful that he is allowing God to now use his many gifts and talents to encourage other Christian leaders, including pastors he met with here at our Family Foundation office, to basically not be afraid to speak truth into our culture. So we're just going to spend some time today picking Mr. McEwen's brain, so to speak, about some of the larger issues facing our culture today. But before we do that, we do have to address one pressing issue, and that is what's happening with Governor Yunkin's rewrite of these policies on transgender issues in public schools. Victoria, please tell us what's going on with that and what is the urgent need here for people to make their voice heard. Yeah, just a quick refresher. If you remember, we have had under the previous administration terrible guidelines on how schools handle transgender issues, allowing boys and girls bathrooms, fluid definitions, pronouns, the whole nine yards. So Yunkin administration has thankfully changed these and made good guidelines. And the bottom line of these guidelines is that parents will be the driver of what happens with their child in the school. And so where we are now is it's in a 30-day public comment period. And so it's really important that people make their voices heard. We've already seen the other side. They are mobilizing. The LGBT crowd has organized walkouts in like Fairfax schools, and the news went you know crazy covering all of that. And unfortunately, they've even had people hacking the, the comment section. And so it's just critically important that every Virginian goes to this website and actually puts their comments. So the easiest way for people that are listening now to go do that is just to hit our website, familyfoundation.org. It gives you all the information about the policy and a quick link right to where they can make the comments because we need our voices heard and we need to stand up and support this policy so that they're encouraged to do more things like this. Yes, if you care about parental rights in Virginia, please do this right now. Share this with as many people as you can. Again, we've made it really easy for you. Familyfoundation.org, just look for that public comment banner. Well, since, you know, we're on this topic of education today, I know this is a big issue on your heart, Mr. McEwen. Could you share with us your big picture thoughts on why are we finding ourselves in these kinds of battles right now over basic parental rights and really the sexualization of children in our schools, because it's not just happening as this, you know, in this state, as you know, we are seeing this play out all over the nation. 
why are we in this cultural clash right now with education? And do you think we can win it? This idea that somehow or another we should submit to others and that let them decide these things is really quite foreign and quite recent. And uh, there's no better example of the idea that government should tell parents what to do. See, the sovereign uh, in America is you and me. Uh, that is, the government works for us. It's not We don't swear allegiance to, to a sovereign. Uh, they work for us. And so that dichotomy, that choice, is between do we want government to tell us what to do? And quite frankly, in the last uh, gubernatorial campaign, you saw the governor, uh, a recent governor of Virginia, say, I don't want the taxpayers, the voters, the parents of this state telling us in government in schools what to do. And uh, Governor Yunkin said, no, I am just the opposite. I believe the taxpayer, the voter, the parent should decide what goes on in government. And the people of Virginia made a choice. And so, uh, I, as, I, as I said, it's a, it's a new idea that we should be dictated to, but I don't think it's going to last very long. So, we have reached this point because we've lost sight of who really is in charge of even our most basic rights, even the right to direct our children's education is what you're saying, that we've, we're have we here having these repeated battles because we've lost sight of that basic right. Kenny, uh, that's correct. It's, it's startling to me. We just had a couple that uh, were friends of my wife in college, and so they were passing through town last week. And, what, and, and she was explaining uh, to us that uh, we should, that those in government know best. And, and of course, we we're just sitting there just scratching our heads because I've spent my life in government. And who are the people in government? It's the people that sit beside you and me on the bus uh, in the morning. One, one person in three, a third of all the people in America at some time during their lifetime hold a position of public trust. They're on the school board or city council or something. So they're just, the, and, and they're there to represent us not to dictate to us. And so this, this whole idea that, that government should tell us what to do is un-American and it's counterproductive. It's, it's uh, mega-centered. It's more rural people. <laughs> rural people don't fall for it. It's the big cities that, that like to have dictators. And so uh, I, I, I think we're confronting it and uh, we see the error of it. And I think that natural American rugged individualism will prevail. Victoria, do you share his optimism? I do, but it's going to take every parent actually stepping up and engaging, right? So it's not going to happen just by, you know, us just assuming that somehow this will circle back to our roots. We actually have to have people who say, my kid is more important than anything else, and I am willing to actually take the courageous stand to battle my school board. It's not comfortable to be sticking out from your peers. It's not comfortable to have to, you know, actually voice up for for what's important. But the bottom line is there's a value clash happening within the building that is beyond anything I think we ever imagined. I just don't think most people imagined they were going to have to fight for their girl to be able to be in a private space without a boy entering willy-nilly because he feels like being in that private space. That's just not a place we thought we were going to be. And now millions of parents are saying, what's going on and how do I protect my kid? And I think that's also why we're seeing this exodus. This is just push for school choice. For parents who are able to make other choices, they're, they're, they're voting with their feet. Exactly. Speak up listeners, have you voted yet? Voting has already started in Virginia for the midterm elections, which will have major impact on the life, family, and freedom issues Christians care about. Vote today at your registrar's office. Learn more at familyfoundation.org. Just click on the voter information banner.
You know, it's interesting that at the same time we're finding ourselves thrust into these education battles, we also seem to be in the struggle over something much more basic, and that is what it even means to be an American and whether we can still take pride in our nation. You know, sadly, I think about the American flag used to be something that united people. We were proud of the principles it represented. Uh, Mr. McEwen, do you think we have permanently lost those basic unifiers, you know, the, the land of the free and a God we trust? Or is it still possible to get America back on the path toward that original constitutional vision? Well, I, that's a very good question, and, and it's appropriate that we should have the concern. The only reason it's possible is because Americans don't know their history. And uh, the reason that, that Alzheimer's is such a horrible disease is because a person doesn't remember who they were. And when they don't remember who they were, they don't know who they are. Therefore, you, it, 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 you can't relate to them. And whereas if they have cancer or, or something else, then you can say goodbye to them. But seeing this drifting off, a nation that doesn't know what it was doesn't know what it is. And that's why there's been a deliberate effort by the education schools to convince educators to not teach American history. And they don't know that this is the greatest nation in the history of man. Uh, from the beginning of time until one day, July 4th, 1776, slavery, for example, was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. But after that day, when 56 Americans said no more, why? Because God made us. And from that right, not because of their bloodline or their skin color or their ancestry of any kind or their private ownership of how much land they had, just because God had made them, they had these certain rights. And that idea is so powerful that the left and those who wanted government have fought against it, but it continues to prevail. That's the nation that blessed the world like no other nation ever has. And so in order to, if you just look at American history, for thousands of years, people hope to someday fly. Americans invented the airplane and the light bulb and the telegraph and the telephone and the global positioning system and the Internet. And America has more books, plays, symphonies, copyrights, inventions than the other 96% of the world combined. This is the greatest nation in the history of man. It maintains stability uh, for flights all over the world in airplanes on the high seas in a ship that is attacked is defended by the 300,000 Americans that wear the uniform of the United States Navy. America is the standard for right. And so how, how, how can you, you can't avoid it. It's America that ended World War I within six months after the country, world had torn itself apart. It was America that ended World War II and freed the world from, from Nazi tyranny and, and Japanese imperialism. America has blessed the world. And the only way that you can look at it any other way is if you don't know it. And so we recently had an encounter with a gal that went to a very uh, upper-class suburban school in Detroit in which she explained, she's about 20 years old, she said, she was discussing with my wife, who is, who is a, a, a registered teacher, and she explained that her history courses, that what she received was a history course her junior year called the 80s, 90s, and now. And, 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 uh, and, wow. and, and for the 80s, what they did, they played MTV. In MTV, that was the 80s. And so my wife is just appalled. She couldn't believe this in America. Are you kidding me? She said, you didn't study World War II? No. You didn't study the Civil War? No. You didn't study James Madison? And the No. So we have people that are so ignorant of American history that you can then teach them something that's not true, like America was founded in 100 years before George Washington was born, and we get into this dilemma. So the answer to the question is, do I need to worry about it? When we tell the truth, Truth overcomes error, and America's history is such that it can be restored if they but know it. 
Wow. Well, I'm going to say that I'm a little worried that there are history classes that are covering my lifetime because now I feel 100 years old. But he's absolutely right. I was just thinking about when he was talking about knowing your history. You know, I took my kids out west to the rodeo in Wyoming this this summer. And I will tell you, not only did they sing the national anthem, but before that, they played this video about why we stand. And they showed all these pictures through history of, you know, American fighter planes and and 9-11 and the things that make you aware of the fact that we as a nation have done these things that have liberated other people that have brought people out of poverty and so you it, it means that much more and so I think he's absolutely right that you've got to recapture our, our identity and yes I think America is not perfect we've talked about that on this show before that you don't want to make an idol out of your nation but you the idea that we're going to emphasize and these kids all they're learning are the imperfections of our country and they're not hearing about all the amazing things and what we've brought to the rest of the world and so it's just a shame that the focus is off and I think if we can restore the focus in classrooms we can restore the um, energy enthusiasm around being an American and what we have to offer to the world. You know, that analogy to memory loss is just so powerful. So what do you think the cure is? Victoria, you're saying, you know, that we need to go back to civic education in our schools, but we know what a battle that is with unions and everything in control of a lot of public schools. So Um, Are we looking to alternative education and school choice at this point? I mean, what's the cure here for restoring our memory loss as a nation? I don't think there's any question that you're going to get a better history course in many places outside of our public schools, homeschools, private schools. I think there's definitely a need for that. But there is a battle here in Virginia that we are waging over what are the standards. Uh, Governor Yunkin's team has actually said, we're not going to just rubber stamp what the previous administration was planning to do on our history standards. We're actually going to read them and see if they are accurate and make sure that they actually proclaim the things that are good about our country and not uh, just simply gloss over them the way we would expect a liberal administration had done. So we have a battle on what's happening right here in our own schools. And exactly the answer is, is what Victoria said when parents assert themselves. And one should not be fearful. You know, if you were a mother on the plains in the 1880s in which there was no air conditioning and there's no electricity and there's no telephone and there's no running water and you have to make your candles and you have to raise your food and you have to make all your own clothes and to ride a horse to get it. Now, that, that education could be a challenge. And yet America did it and it was the most literate nation in the world. Now, under these circumstances, when we can go online and we can get people that teach young children how to do it, and we have a neighbor and we're forming these pods when mothers walk up and down the street and one mother says, I can teach geography. The other mother says, I can teach math. The other one, and, the, and they join together. We can do what made this nation the most powerful, most literate, most generous, most Christian nation on the planet. Uh, by restoring those same values when parents take the responsibility for the education of their children. Well said. That's encouraging. Well, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on the issue of the sanctity of human life. What are your thoughts on where we are right now as a nation in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned and how the basic question of whether we as a nation will decide to recognize the sacredness of human life, how will that ultimately affect the rest of our society and our government components? Kenny, that is an extremely powerful question. Many people have never thought long enough just to sit down and focus and say, does this really matter? And the truth of the matter is that it is fundamental that the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. The source of that is Thomas Jefferson said, so that this nation recognized that the most important thing that government does, and I'll say this calmly and aggressively, the most important thing that government can do is to protect innocent life and then liberty. 
because liberty is of no value if you're dead. And so if a nation does not protect life, another nation does. And so at the same time, and this is why uh, the, our founders were so concerned about which direction we would go and why they wanted to go to a republic in which the rights came from, the, from God and not from the majority. In a democracy, rights come from the majority. And so they didn't use that word at all under any circumstances because they saw what happens. And the French at the same time, 1787, the same time they're meeting in Philadelphia, considering the American Constitution, the French had a revolution as well, but they didn't have God and they didn't therefore have life. And so they started with liberty. Liberty, equality, and fraternity. Now what's fraternity? That means group or union or Soviet. So by the group, we have our rights of liberty and equality. Well, without God, there's no protection. And so what was the symbol of the French Revolution? It was the guillotine. They chopped off people's heads. So our, our protection of life makes everything else either work or doesn't work in any political party or any politician that does not respect life, just tuck this away in your head. You say, well, you're running for school board. Why do I care? Any politician that does not protect innocent life will not hesitate to take your liberty. And if you don't think so, just look at what they're telling you. You're going to have to put this in your child. We haven't, have you tested that vaccine? No, we don't know, but you'd have to do it anyway. I can tell you where that person stands on right to life. Because if you think rights come from God and you want to protect life, then you don't play these kinds of powerful games. And so when you ask the question, does it matter? It, it matters the longer you study the issue, the more important you will see that if you can ask a person running for office only one question, if you ask them where do you stand on life, it would be the most important thing that you could ask. I can't help but think, you know, he's talking about valuing life. And we, we throw out the, around the term a lot, culture of life. And people think, oh, you're just talking about being pro-life. No, we're really talking about understanding the uniqueness and preciousness of every single human being, not for a utilitarian purpose, not for the purpose that they do something that helps the government. And when you can get a culture that actually believes that and endorses that, I can't imagine how much more that would impact. You look at almost half of the problems we have today. Think about kids and their mental health issues. Why are they hoping? Why are we having these these suicide issues? Well, it's really easy to be hopeless if we don't value every human life, if we think it's about outcomes, if we don't actually think it's about God's unique stamp and steel and, you know, uh, his 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 image being on every human being. If we don't look at it that way as a culture, no wonder people end up in a place of hopelessness. So there's just so many things that tie to this. We got to get this fundamental right. And it's with the unborn. It's with the elderly. It's understanding that lives matter. And that is the principle goal, objective of government. Our founders understood it. It made America different. This is just such an awesome conversation today because I think it just really helps us understand what's at stake here in our nation and put these things in a bigger perspective so we understand how it's not just these little battles playing out day to day, but this is really affecting people's souls, the future of our nation. So I just want to wrap up with you know, we, we can't talk about all of this stuff without talking about what the role of the church is in this culture right now, especially at this moment with these issues we've been talking about. I can't wait to hear both of your thoughts on that. Um, what you both have to say about how should the church be stepping up right at this exact moment? 
Well, I, I mean, I just jump in. I did my entire thesis on the Clapham sect, which was William Wilberforce's band of Christian brothers that intentionally set out to change the world on things like slavery and other things. And that's what we need. We need Christians who are intentional, who put themselves out with courage and in, put themselves into positions of power to make all the difference in, in, in our country. And Mr. McEwen, when you look back at history, do you have hope that churches will, in fact, wake up and actually help us turn back in the right direction? Well, I'm reminded of the statement by Winston Churchill said, you can always trust the Americans to do the right thing after having exhausted every other possibility. <laughs> and so we often uh, bumble around, but in the end, uh, with God's guidance and blessing, we tend to do the right thing. And uh, I don't think he's finished with us yet. This nation, it, people say, well, America did this wrong. America, did, line them up, brother. Find a nation that's more spiritual. Find a nation that's more generous. Find a nation that's more kind. Find a nation that stands for godly principles. More than America, I'm ready to listen. And so it's true that not all of us are perfect, only a handful, but the rest of the world is a lot worse than we. So I'm excited about the days ahead. Victoria, quick takeaway. What can people do if they want to get their pastor involved on these issues? Well, I really encourage people to come alongside their pastor. Don't go at your pastor. Sometimes people get a little frustrated. Why aren't we talking more about this? But really remind them that loving our neighbor, which is that, that fundamental call in scripture, loving our neighbor, one of the ways we do that in America is through engagement. We can love a lot of neighbors all at once by doing things like voting, by talking to our legislator, by being willing to stand up in a school board meeting. That's how we love our neighbors and how people can flourish, how families can flourish. And fundamentally, if we really want the gospel to remain free, to be able to be accessible to all of us and to be exported around the world, we have to protect that freedom here in our nation. So I think people just need to be willing to have those conversations. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.